You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. So how many of you have ever heard the phrase, the first shall be last and the last shall be first? I hope a few of you had. All right, now to get ready for Sunday school season coming up, I'll ask the, Sunday, the question that has the Sunday school answer, who said this? Okay, we need a lot more. Thank you for those of you over here who were excited about Who said this? Jesus, right? Jesus. This, is, this comes from uh, Luke chapter 13. So these are the words of Jesus. But I think sometimes when we use them, we take them somewhat or drastically out of context and use them in a very different way. Because how do you, when you hear the first shall be last and the last shall be first, how do you hear that used in conversation? I hear it used with my children whenever they're racing to something and the loser's the one that says it. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's Bennett, right? Uh, Every time he gets to the house last, every time he gets to the car last, his first words out of his mouth was, well, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, which is great. I'm glad that he's listening to Jesus. But that's not really what it's talking about, is it? You know, it's not not a life mantra for losers. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, We've got another phrase in our text that's very similar to this, but a little different. From Luke 14, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So basically, the the self-exalted will be humbled, and the self-humbled will be exalted. But again, what's the context now, this last week and a half, I've been teaching uh, religion in the school for grades 5th through 8th. And as, as we're doing that, every Friday is memory day. We get to spend a half an hour talking about memory work. And in that, we get to, the, one of the most important things that we do there is figure out the context of a passage. Now, this week it was Genesis 1-1, so the, you know, the context was easy because what happened before it? Nothing. All right? Uh, but... But eventually, they're going to learn, they're going to have a a verse memorized, Philippians 4.13. Does anybody know off the top of their heads what Philippians 4.13 is? It might be one of your confirmation verses, or it might be one that gets like on the back of Christian jerseys. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right, that's a a letter to Paul, or from Paul to the church in Philippi. I can guarantee you that Paul was not thinking about the ability to dunk a basketball as he was writing that. Right, as Paul was writing that, he was talking about that he has been in all sorts of situations. He's been in situations where he had a full belly, he had everything that he needed. He had food, he had clothing, he had people around me. And in those situations, he was able to preach about the good news of Jesus. But he's also been in situations where he's been in jail, where he's been without food, without clothing, without his needs being met. And in those situations, 
He's able to preach the good news of Jesus. And so Paul says, whether in plenty or in need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Context matters. So how do we make sure that when we're reading, the self-exalted will be humbled and the self-humbled will be exalted? How do we make sure that we're not reading that out of context? How do we make sure that that doesn't become a life mantra for the losers? Well, let's check out the context. Right? It starts at the beginning of chapter 14. There's a new day in the life of Jesus, and it's a Sabbath day. And so one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So notice two very important points here. It's a Sabbath, and he's at a Pharisee's house. Right? So if you know anything about Sabbath and Pharisees, you got to pay attention here. All right, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We'll come back to the, what happens in the middle, but we're going to jump ahead a little bit. So Jesus starts teaching. So Jesus says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend... Move up higher, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And then here's this phrase, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right, so that we get some more context. But again, we don't have all the context yet because, again, this is not just good advice for how to, uh, how to live your life in social situations. This is not what should I do at Thanksgiving, right? This is not Jesus saying, next time you're in Thanksgiving, go sit at the kids' table hoping that mom or grandma will invite you up to the adult table. Right, that's not what Jesus is saying, Let's go back one verse from where we just read there. We're going to read verse 7. Now Jesus told a what? A parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor. This is not a talk about how we, how we interact in social situations. This is a parable. Now maybe you've heard that a parable is a, an earthly story with a heavenly truth or with a godly truth. That's a great way to think of what a parable is. Uh, the word parable actually means to cast alongside. So Jesus gives us a, a situation that we can all connect with, a situation that we've been a part of maybe before. And so we see this parable, we see this, or we see this situation, this earthly situation, and alongside that Jesus casts a godly truth. And so he's going to teach us about what it means to live our lives in relationship to God. Again, I said that we've skipped a story in the middle of that. From verse, we, we went from verse 1 to verse 7. What happened in verses 2 to 6? Well, there's, there's not only Jesus and the Pharisees at this ruler's house, but there's also a man with a, a disease called dropsy. Now, basically it means he was retaining fluid. But there's this man who's sick at this house as well. And Jesus looks at this man and then looks at the Pharisees and said, is it good for me to heal this man? And the Pharisees are stuck because it's the Sabbath and you can't work on the Sabbath but I feel like we, should, we can't say that we can't heal the person, so what do we do? 
Well, in good Pharisee fashion, they say nothing because they can't figure out what's good. And so they go into what I call Pharisee mode, where, where they are so focused on their lawfulness, on, on boasting about how lawful they are, on, on adhering to the law, that they can't figure out what's good. Because they want to make sure everyone around them knows that they kept the law and you can't work on the Sabbath. Right? They go into this Pharisee mode. They're boasting about or relying on their lawfulness or on my lawfulness to, to make myself look better in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God. Well, let me give you another example of what this Pharisee mode looks like. We get it a little bit later in Luke chapter 18 where two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And so the Pharisee prays first, and he gets kind of in the middle of everybody. He's standing by himself, but so that everybody can see him. And he prayed this way. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even that tax collector that I walked in with. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. Look at me. Right, this is Pharisee mode, right? This is, is him trying to get everyone to look at him so that they can see his lawfulness, so that they can see how good he is, so that he can be exalted among those around him. His value is based completely on his lawfulness. His worth is based on how well he can show to others that he keeps the law. So the question that I want you to think about today is how do you value your worth? Is your worth valued in what you do, whether good or bad, right? Sometimes we value our worth, we look at all the good things that we do and say, look at me, I'm good. Other times we value our worth, we say, look at all this awful stuff that I did. I'm bad. Or maybe value in, in, in what we do, right, in terms of work, or, or athletics, or we value ourselves based on what we do. Is that your value? Is that how you value your worth? Or is it based on what Jesus has said about you? Later in the service, we're going to confess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Well, in the, in the small catechism, Luther explains the different articles, the different pieces of the Apostles' Creed, and, and each article is focused on a different person of the Trinity. God the Father is the first article. God the Son, who, we, who, who is named Jesus after his birth, is the second article. And God the Holy Spirit is the third article. And as Luther writes these explanations, he helps us better understand what each of these persons of the Trinity does in our life. And as he explains the, the, the third article, as he teaches us more about the Holy Spirit, Luther says this. He says, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. I believe that if, if it were up to me, if my value or my worth were based on what I do, I'm toast because I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit 
has called me by the gospel. He has enlightened me with his gifts. He has sanctified me, and he has kept me in the true faith. And then later, as he talks about the whole Christian church, he talks about how he gathers us together. There are two things that I love doing more than anything else as a pastor. You might be able to guess at least one of them. Baptism, right? I love baptizing more than anything else as a pastor. The second thing is probably might be considered a weird one. I love preaching funeral sermons. Because both of those, both baptism and funerals, we get to focus solely on what God is doing. Solely on what, what Jesus does for me what Jesus does for you, right? In your baptism, that is when the Holy Spirit is calling you by the gospel. He is bringing you into his family through the good news of Jesus, and and God's name is placed on you, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in funerals, we have this banner that sits right here that has on it part of Isaiah 43, verse 1, that says, I have called you by name. You are mine. That's what happens in baptism. And the Holy Spirit keeps us in that true faith until we are called to be with Jesus. Not only does the Spirit do that, but He enlightens us with His gifts. He he helps us to understand who He is better uh, and also gives us the gifts of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and and, and patience, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And He gives that as a good gift to you. And he also sanctifies you. The word sanctification is a big churchy word that means he helps you to better live the life that Jesus has called you to live. Not to be like a Pharisee, to to boast about it, but out of love and honor and humility to a God who saves. Right, so we've, we've seen what Pharisee mode looks like in prayer. What does humble mode look like? Well, we continue with the tax collector in chapter 8, Luke 18, starting with verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. If you grew up in the Lutheran church, if you ever attend uh, one of our traditional services, uh, divine service for in the confession, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is the confession there. And then Jesus, as he, as he tells this parable to the Pharisees who are there, he continues by saying, I tell you, this man, this tax collector who humbled himself, went down to his house justified rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. And then look how he finishes this parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Direct quote from chapter 14, from our text in in 14, verse 11. It seems like this is important to Jesus. Three times in five chapters in Luke, Jesus either says that the first shall be last or the the self-exalted will be humbled, and the last shall be first or the self-humbled will be exalted. But it's, again, it's not about social situations. It's not about winning a race somewhere. This is about our relationship with God. 
If I try and come before God and show him all of my good deeds, if you try and come before God and exalt yourself before God so that he could see all the good that you've done, you will be humbled. I will be humbled. But as we humble ourselves and come before God in worship, come before God in confession, as we humble ourselves before him, he exalts you. He picks you up. He reminds you that I have called you by name. You are mine. You are part of my family. I love you. So what does that humility look like in our lives? Well, I put six different words up here. Worship, confession, service, generosity, Bible study, fellowship. In all six of those, we could talk about what Pharisee mode looks like as well. Right? So it's not just doing these things that's humility, but it's how we approach these things. As we come in to worship, right, every, every time we hear that invocation, that is God welcoming you into his house. And you don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be able to come into his presence. If we, if we look back at the Old Testament and you or I were to walk into the Holy of Holies, the way that we walk into this place, we would be killed on the spot. Not because God hates you or doesn't want you in his presence, but because God is so holy that we cannot be in his presence without the blood of Jesus covering our sins. And so we come into worship with humility, knowing that we don't deserve to be in this place. And then, and then we come to him in confession, confessing our sins, knowing that we mess up time after time after time. And every single time we mess up, we are breaking the relationship that God has rebuilt in us. And every single time that we sin, God should turn his back on us and leave. God should turn his back on us and say, you're on your own now. But as we come to him in confession with humility, God doesn't turn his back. He reminds us that we are his children. He loves us and he sent his son Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins. And then because of what he has done for us, because of his service and love to us, we can go and serve our neighbor. We can go and take care of the needs of our neighbor. You know, we, towards the end of our, or at the end of our text today, we get this other quick parable about not inviting those who can repay us, but instead inviting those who cannot repay us. That's what it looks like to serve, to, to take care of needs of people who, who cannot repay you. Because you're not doing it to get repaid, you're doing it because they need it. And Jesus has given you the ability to care for their needs. Also, we can be generous. We can be humbly generous people. And at first I had tithing up there, and then I realized that the Pharisees are really good at tithing to, to self-exalt themselves. We got it in, in Luke 18, uh, but also we get this, we, we get this time where, where a Pharisee comes and gives a, a tenth, and Jesus is watching and teaching, again, it's a parable, and then a widow comes up to give her gift. And it's two 
coins worth the equivalent, you know, I've always said half a penny, probably now it's worth a quarter of a penny, uh, but worth basically nothing. And Jesus looks at her and says that she is the generous one because she has not just given a a tenth, she has given everything. And so we can come and humbly be generous people. We can also study God's Word. Again, not to be like a Pharisee so I can beat you over the head with God's Word. Not to be a Pharisee so I can prove myself better than you. But to study His Word so that I can learn about this God who loves me. So that I can grow in relationship with a God who cares for me. Right? And, and what I've learned, the more and more that I've been a pastor, the more and more I learn, the less I know. Or at least the less I realize that I know. And the more I need to grow. And then in fellowship. Again, like I said, one of the things that the Spirit does is He gathers us together in His Word. Or with His people. He gathers us with His people. Fellowship. It's important. It's important for me and you to be together. I need you and you need me. Not selfishly, but because that is how God created the Bible. Or created the body. To work together. So again, that's why I'm really going to encourage you to be here on September 11th because we will have lots of different opportunities to worship and to confess and to serve and to uh, be generous and to study His Word and to, to grow in fellowship with each other. And we want you to get connected. Not as a check out off the box, not as a Pharisaical, well, look at me, look at what I'm doing, but as we come humbly before God as we worship, as we confess, as we serve, as we are generous, as we study His Word, as we fellowship in community. We do that humbly because we don't deserve any of it. But Jesus has chosen you. The Spirit has called you by the gospel, enlightened you with His gifts, sanctified you, and keeps you in the true faith until Jesus returns to make all things new. Amen? Amen.